Howdy. Howdy who? Howdy, Howdy who? who? Here we go. <laughs> Two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina. And I feel like it was just just weeks ago where I was sitting here recording saying, I'm sweating. I can hardly breathe. It's so hot. And here I am now in a turtleneck, a sweater, and a teddy jacket because I am so cold. Yeah, you're so bundled and so fuzzy that you reminded me of Kat and I started sneezing as soon as your video That's turned true. on. So, Oh, speaking of, hello. Speaking of, she knows her cue, Miss Leia. I heard you talking about me. You know what I saw on the internet that freaked me out today? What? March is in four months. March is in four months from now. Which means it's almost been a full year. <laughs> yes. Isn't that crazy? I feel like it's been the fastest and slowest year Ever. It's so crazy because we've done, it's just been repetition of the same thing and the same day over and over with very mm-hmm. little, any, nothing new. It's just, here we are and we're... And I'm mad at myself because so many people had glow ups and I was like, I'm going to have a glow up because... Who? It's just going to... People on the internet. I'm comparing <laughs> people myself... People you know from TikTok. From social media. I'm falling into the social media trap. I'm starting <laughs> to compare myself to strangers that I don't know anything about. But I'm like, damn, everyone's cutting their hair, dyeing their hair. Their eyebrows are suddenly two centimeters thicker, which I'm jealous of. (laughs) You dyed your hair. Your hair's lightest. I did dye my hair in a long time. One part of the glow up. I just need the other nine parts to fall into place. Well, next weekend, I'm chopping my hair. Actually, (gasps) you are Saturday. So this episode comes out on Sunday. So the day before this episode came out, my hair is Bye-bye. Like a lob? Because you just did the... Yeah, I'm going to do like a shoulder length. Wait, that is going to look so good. I feel like you have the perfect face shape for that. When you met me, I had short hair. I had never had long hair in my life. Oh, yeah, Until I went to college because in college I didn't have a hairdresser and I just let it grow. And I was like, oh, this is what my hair could be. Yeah. And I feel like it was kind of the thing in college that you just didn't get your hair cut and everyone had long hair. And so you didn't feel like you needed to get your hair cut because all of your friends had long hair. And why would you be the one with short hair? Exactly. That'll be good. That will feel so much lighter. I'm so excited. That's the best feeling is when you have long hair. I've done it a few times now because I always grow up my hair and then I'm like, I want short hair and then cut it really short and then do back and forth, back and forth. Me too. But how light your hair feels you're you're just your head. And then when you go to shampoo and condition and suddenly your your hands just slip out and there's no more and it's like this blunt little chubby end of a ponytail. Oh, I love it. And also how you forget how little shampoo and conditioner you need when your hair is shorter. Yes. It's an underrated joy. Everybody's out there doing ASMR videos, putting combs on pickles. (laughs) But you know what is the best? Touching the chubby end to your freshly chopped hair. Guarantee that is some ASMR right there. Someone running their hair through short hair or hand through short hair. It's got to be. Leia. Leia, you monster. Ah! (laughs) Halloween is over, but... (laughs) But I've got a monster year-round. Year-round monsters. Speaking of monsters, I had a funny moment and I meant to text you, Sabrina, and and then I forgot, but I'm telling you now. What? The last night, well, if anyone follows me on Instagram, I have a significant other. And he, and the the ghosts, whatever we were watching or whatever we were talking about, ghosts came up and I was like, don't worry. If a ghost comes near you, I'll protect you. Because he's not into that stuff. He gets a little (laughs) nervous. He gets a little scared. And he said the funniest freaking thing, or at least I thought it was really funny. He goes, okay, yeah, what do we need? We need like garlic, right? Garlic? <laughs> I was like, no. Oh. This hurts that you don't know. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet child. Sweet child. The garlic will not ward off your spirits. <laughs> Wrong monster. Wrong monster. <laughs> that is really pure. I know. <laughs> I know. And then he was like, don't, don't talk about this. Don't say it on your podcast. I don't want the phantoms to hate me. <laughs> Oh, no, it endears us to him more. Uh, I thought it was funny. Oh, my gosh. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. This will just be a gossip column now. I'll tell you guys all the weird things. Can you just send me his address? I'm going to send him a bunch of garlic. (laughs) (laughs) Little garlic necklace. (laughs) Heard you needed some of this. A wooden steak. (laughs) Just for the ghosts, man. For the ghosts. That is truly... I wish I was in the phase of my life when I didn't know enough about ghosts yet. Like, (laughs) I mean, granted, what do we know? We know nothing about ghosts, but I do truly wish... Also, when was that? Like, four years old? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I mean, the discovery. I just want to go through that discovery of the paranormal again. How fun would that be? Yeah. Fun terrifying confusing that's true i remember i told you that and i've talked about it on the podcast especially i'm sure i've mentioned it in the shadow people episode but when i was really young when my family lived in littleton new hampshire mm-hmm. i was like four years old there was a family of shadow people that would essentially i called them a family because they were varying heights but these shadow figures that would be in the mudroom bathroom area of the house and i would always see them Ugh, appear yeah. whenever my mom was upstairs like whenever she wasn't on the same level of the house is me, that is usually when I would see them. Mm-hmm. And it terrified me since I was four years old and I always called them shadow people because it literally looked like so they looked the like. shadow of a person. Yes. And it wasn't until I was, I don't know, 14 and I was watching some after school ghost hunting show when someone came on and started talking about shadow people that they described what I'd seen and it finally connected the dots. And it was like this Mm. huge gap of 10 years between the experience and the understanding. And I feel like we have so much more potential for that, especially now that we're bringing so many different topics up in the podcast. But I want more really memorable experiences. I feel like we talk more than we experience these days. Yes. I want it, but I don't. (laughs) I'm fine with talking about it and not experiencing it. (laughs) Like, I don't want those shadow people, but... I think if we were to experience it in the way that a good friend, Conchetta, experiences it, where it's like good mm-hmm. ghosts coming through to share messages, I'd be more open to that. Yes. But same. I don't think we can pick and choose. It's not that easy. Right. And I would want boundaries. We can't just have everything. We can have all the gorgeous, beautiful cakes and ice cream. There's rainstorms, too. Which I do love rainstorms, though. And I'm not sure you can choose when you open your window or not. Like, if you're just like, hey, I want to watch... I don't know, practical magic. I'm in the mood to watch Inside Out. You can't necessarily say like I'm, I mean, who, I don't know anything, but I'm guessing that you can't completely block things off and be like, I only take messages from 4 to 6 p.m. on weekdays. (laughs) It's the only time I have on my calendar. (laughs) I do. Okay, though, reading Conchetta's book, she did talk a lot about how we can open ourselves up to it, but I, I think you're right in, just, mm-hmm. in terms of like, once you open yourself up to it, like, can you just shut it off or can you control when exactly they're coming to you? Probably not. Right. But after reading her book, I did try for a few nights to just, you know, specifically reach out to my loved ones and tell them that I was open to them coming to visit me in my dreams. Yeah. In general, I said, don't scare me, but please come. I want to like see you. I want to make sure you're okay. I miss you. And it didn't work. Oh, Well, maybe you just have to build up to it. I wasn't there yet mentally. And I also feel like sometimes there's a bit of a a desperation sometimes to... I'm thirsty. ...make something work. (laughs) Yes. And so you're willing something to happen, but you're not necessarily opening yourself up for it to happen. You're you're requesting and demanding that it happens, but you're not quite getting your own energy into the space. Yeah, I think I need to meditate. It's like when people say like, oh, things happen when you least expect it. It's because you're not you're not consciously like putting too much, too many crazy vibes out that fumble with whatever you want to happen. I feel like if I meditate, if I got into a habit of meditating and did it Mm -hmm. like every day, I bet I would be able to bring myself to a mental headspace where I would be open to it. But I'm just not good at setting aside that relaxing hey me time it's more of like it's five o'clock i need a glass of wine and i gotta keep working you should start taking baths <gasps> my new place will have bathtubs you can take a bubble bath singular i mean one bathtub but i'm really excited because my place now does not have tubs see that is the ultimate time to just put on a little meditation app close your eyes get into the right space and then drown? Well, you're not going to fall asleep, I don't think. I don't know. I don't trust myself. It, you'll wake up if you go <laughs> underwater. <laughs> Why is the Billie Eilish lyric in my head right now? The, I tried to scream, but my head was underwater. Oh, that was really good. Oh, wow. I bought it. Maybe in. this is, did I have a vocal glow up? Oh my gosh, Corinne. <laughs> We made a big discovery in 2020. I've been having a lot of salty chips and water, and apparently (laughs) that must be the glow up. That is the recipe. Also the reason the other things aren't glowing up. (laughs) Too much sodium. Oh, man. But thank you. That was a nice compliment. I appreciate it. Well, you deserved it. It was great. Okay. Hmm. So I think we were in in a mood looking for some some, uh, darkness to... (laughs) 
take up our minds this week. We are always looking for darkness, aren't we? Always looking for darkness. But this time we were looking for a specific type of darkness, and that is spirits who murder. Murderous ghosts. Killer ghosts. Killer ghosts. Which I feel like, surprisingly, in research is... A little, well, I don't know why I'm surprised. (laughs) I mean, ghosts aren't murdering all left and right. 50 ghosts in jail. No, but what I found really interesting too is the amount of serial killer, like in their living time, that made no sense. (laughs) Serial killers who, when they were of flesh and bone, became serial killers. And then when they died and became spirits, there's so many different hauntings involving those people. But actually yeah. finding ghosts who kill was a little difficult. Yes, I agree. But I feel like we got creative in what we found. Yes. Well, I, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you chose. No, well, actually, shout out to our listener, Angelica, who is on our Patreon, because I had a whole different story picked out. And then she recommended this story that I'm about to tell you. It is called The Thai Widow Ghost. And so I was like, okay, well, I have to look this up. This sounds fascinating. So now this is the story of The Thai Widow Ghost. And it is from just a couple years ago. So this all happened in 2018. That's just two years ago. Oh my gosh. Wait. (gasps) Recent. I know. It could still be happening today. Oh, So in rural northeast Thailand, in a small district of Pai Mai, within this district, there is a very small village. And this very small village has only 90 people. But there's one resident who's raising a lot of alarm. Mm. As you walk down the streets of this small village, you'll see red shirts hung in front of the homes. You'll see giant red-tipped phallic symbols, statues erected, people wearing necklaces of these red penises around their bodies, around their necks. Mm. It's all over, and some people are wearing red lipstick and red nail polish when they go to bed. And many of the residents who are doing this are male These are men who are fearful, men who are desperate, men who are hoping that the red shirt, the red nail polish, the red phallic symbols will drive this other resident away because this one resident who is causing all of these issues isn't really easy to avoid because she's dead. (gasps) She can walk through walls. She can walk through walls. She can watch you pee. (laughs) That was not okay. But true. I'm losing my jingle, my rhythm. I'm going down in that department. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try it again in a little bit. Okay. I'll just, I'll write a song and I'll have our editors insert it in and make it look like I was really good. Yeah, that's a good idea. Cheat the system. A little auto-tune. Yeah. Okay. So this is the spirit believed to be the spirit of a widow, a widow who is said to murder the male residents in this village and in the surrounding area. So it all started back in early 2018 when a couple of men from the village suddenly died as they slept within the same week of each other. And speculation began to rise amongst the community as to what this could possibly be. These men were in their 40s. They were strong. They were healthy. Everyone was like, they didn't have any diseases. There was absolutely no need to raise the alarm. No concern at all. There's only 90 people again in this village. So two people dying in the same week was really suspicious. Mm-hmm. And they both had taken baths before going to bed, which was nothing out of the ordinary, just their normal routine. Corinne, and you were trying to make me take a bath earlier. <laughs> what are you trying to do? But you're you're female. These are men. Okay. It's different. Should I be concerned? <laughs> it's different. <laughs> These, all of the people were like, there's no reason for this to have happened. What could have possibly happened? Because in the morning after these men had gone to bed, their relatives walked into their room and found them in their beds, cold, blue, without life. And so their deaths raised a ton of suspicion around the community because why did these men suddenly die? This is super odd. So the community itself and a lot of Asia is very spiritual. And so The village was like, let us bring in a medium 
to try to help shed some light onto the sudden string of deaths. Whatever this medium will find, maybe they'll make contact with the men who will be able to explain something. Maybe the medium will find something else, the reason, the energy, whatever it is behind these two mysterious deaths. Mm -hmm. So they all meet at the village shrine with the medium. And it was here that the medium made contact with a widow who was furious about her state. She was confused as to her condition. Her anger and her confusion was now leading her to find other men, men who she stalked by night. And then she would bring them to the other side with her. Another partner for her as this vengeful widow spirit. Oh my gosh. And the spirit said that she had already taken the lives of two people and she intended to take two more. Two more. Which is indeed (gasps) what happened. Oh my gosh. Two more men died and more followed shortly after. Within the span of one month, this village of 90 people lost close to a dozen men who fell victim to the spirit. A dozen? A dozen men. And at first, doctors were like, we can't explain it. It's just so sudden. It was actually logged as sudden, unexplained nocturnal death. And it's been the explanation for all of the deaths of these men in the beginning. And as to defend themselves, the remaining men and all of the people in the village were encouraging the men and their brothers and their husbands and everybody in their lives to attempt to trick the spirit because they didn't want to lose any more men. This was a huge amount of their population just gone within one month. And so that is why they started wearing red and putting red everywhere because red is considered a feminine color in Thailand. And that's the color that the residents chose to ward off this spirit, this widow spirit. So people hung signs outside of their homes that read, no men live here. Others have scarecrows out with large penises to try to lure the spirit to the straw man over the oh, real ones. Oh my gosh. The phallic symbols, I, I already said there are statues of them. People wear them as necklaces. It's just all around the property. Uh, and the phallic symbols are actually supposed to bring good luck. The red shirts outside the home are supposed to ward off the bad spirits and and put a a feminine energy around the household. And then the red nail polish and the red lipstick is really a last defense. And it's one that a lot of the women are encouraging the men to do Mm. in this community and attempt to trick the widow ghost into thinking that they are women as they're sleeping. Wow! So she'll go in intending to take their lives and then say, oh, I mistook this person. This is actually a female sleeping in this bed. I mean, you got to give them credit for creativity, right? This is a trick that would likely save their lives. Wow. And for a long span of time, the red shirts, the red nail polish, all of that, it seemed to be working because there weren't any more sudden deaths. And the men and the townspeople seemed to have found this good defense that was working for them. But this theory was soon disproved a few months in when yet another man died in his sleep unexpectedly Mm. and inexplicably. Did he also take a bath? I don't know if the bath is connected. So I think you might be okay. Okay. I'm trying to be a doctor here. I don't know about the bath. I assume it might just have been part of the routine of the culture because it's Mm. really hot there. A lot of the men are working men in the village. So I'm sure they got like pretty dirty and sweaty and I'm likely take a bath when they get home from work. As many of us do. Yes. It's a human thing. It's a human thing. Hygiene. People of the 17th century. Priority for Corinne. But this man who died, he was wearing red nail polish at the time of his death. So everyone is losing their minds. The men remain fearful. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, the red is not working. What do we do? They're putting up more red stuff. They're not sure what to do. And everyone's just scared. And and I mean, at this point, what do you do? There's a spirit coming for you. They're coming to attack you and you have no more defense or the defense that you thought worked is no longer mm-hmm. a viable option. And everybody's talking. Everyone's sharing stories. Everyone's trying to figure out what the signs are of this spirit coming. And it is said that when the widow ghost has marked a man as her next victim, the man will start to have terrible nightmares And the nightmares will get worse as she gets closer Mm. until eventually there are no more dreams or nightmares to be had because the widow ghost has won and she's taken him to the other side. And now they're living a nightmare. Now they are. And in Thai folklore, a widowed ghost is believed to be a bad spirit who, while living as a human being, had committed adultery and in death, the spirit Mm -hmm. tries to then lure people in, charm in these different suitors to come join them on the other side. It reminds me a little bit of the Lady in White legends, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is more geared towards luring men instead of luring children. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's very creepy. And I don't know if it's singular to just women, if it's female widowers within the Thai culture, I'm not sure, but Mm. whatever it is, it's, it's a little scary. But the thing is, is when this spirit appears and when this spirit starts to charm the person, it makes me wonder if the nightmares suddenly lift and the person who is aware of what was once happening with the nightmares and this impending doom and the spirit coming after them to kill them. If suddenly they become confused and they let their guard down and they become entranced and they're unable to defend themselves and just trying to follow this beautiful person wherever Hmm. they go. It actually reminds me a bit of, I recently rewatched the first episode of American Horror Story, the very first Hmm. season, Murder House. Mm -hmm. And do you remember how the, the maid, the housekeeper, she is an older woman to everybody else, but to the father of the family, she's like this Mm. very sexy, sultry, like, come here, come to me, beauty. I forgot about that. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. It's a, it's a good watch for anyone who hasn't seen the first season. So three months in from the first sudden death that this village experienced, the 13th man died in his sleep. Oh my gosh. That's so many. So many. And so the families of the deceased, they've been so confused. They've all reported that everyone's been in perfect health. There's no indication of any problems. And it was really only men who died. There were no females who died. Only the men died. And so the Thai ghost must be the reason for these deaths, right? Why would only the men, only healthy men die? But Thai health officials say that it's actually not a vengeful spirit, but rather carbohydrates and sugars that are haunting these men and killing them. The Thai Public Health Ministry has said that the diets of the deceased and of the people in the whole community, which is why there's some confusion as to why it's only been men, have an incredibly unbalanced diet. And they have a lot of these like gluttonous, sticky, sweet rice. And that that is Mm. the majority of what their dishes are and and what they consume. Um, And it's a it's popular for people of the economic status that are in this community, people that are working here, this white rice with the sweet syrup. And so Mm -hmm. this diet mixed with physical and mental strain of working and being where they are, breathing problems from the hot, hot, hot climate are likely the reasons behind these sudden deaths of these men and what is attributed to the sudden death syndrome in Thailand. And in some surrounding Southeast Asia countries. So the public health ministry, they launched a health awareness campaign to raise awareness about nutrition and balancing your diet with some fruits, some vegetables, some meat. And while the health is obviously, health is always extremely important and should be talked about. It does make you wonder why only the men of this village and a lot of men from surrounding village were the victims of this sudden death syndrome. And so that is the story of the Thai widow ghost. I have the same question. Okay. I obviously, I do feel like there's some health thing to it, but I'm curious. Now I want to like get a board out and trace where all these men were before their deaths. And if there's any commonalities. And that's why I was asking about the baths. Cause was it in the water? Was it right. like a weird, I don't know what they're called, but you know, those brain eating amoebas. Yeah. Basically that like can get into your skin through water and or, yes. like, up through your pee pee hole and kill you. Yeah. No, I had the same thought too when I was thinking about the baths and it's just confusing. And granted, like we are not at all nutritionists. We are not medical professionals. So we're not human biologists or yeah, we don't know. Nor will we ever be. No, (laughs) we don't. I fainted when I got a phrenectomy. I can't even think about medical stuff, but it does make me wonder what the environmental, physical, and physiological impact is between men and women within this community. Like, right. does it make sense that it's just the men? Is it something about the physical strain, what they're eating, what their what their activity level is, what's just natural within like the the makeup of a male body versus a female body? Or right. does it just not make sense? And it's just this weird thing that we haven't, you know, maybe maybe it appears as going away from paranormal. Maybe it appears as a dietary issue, but there's something else invisible, something else undiscovered that is essentially mm. targeting these people that we don't quite understand. Yeah. I also, cause if it is dietary, I mean, what do I know? Again, not a professional, mm-hmm. but it does seem like you would have some type of symptoms leading up to it. Right. Rather than just all of a sudden sudden dying. Death. Yeah. Sudden death. I know. 
Yeah, you would think. You would think heart palpitations, I don't know, uh, distended bellies, depression, things that come with an intake of carbs and sugars and unbalanced diets, fainting, dizziness. This reminds me of a case that would be on Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 100%. And now I really want that show to come back. Just so that show was so good. Oh, it was such a good like late night show to put on when the whole family's just like, what should we watch? And then House was always on. So good. Ugh. I love the one that so Demi good. Lovato was in. <laughs> Couldn't tell you what that she was. She had holes in her ears and no one could figure out why she was saying that she could hear everything and she was going mad. But it was because there were mm. perforations within her ear drum and she could hear everything happen- happening inside of her. So every movement of saliva and liquid and breathing and everything was amplified within her head and she was being driven mad. Weird. I had an occurrence that happened similar to that the other day where I heard a rumbling inside one of my ears and I thought I was like, it felt like a little earthquake happening in just one side of my body. And then of course I did the thing that you're not supposed to do and WebMD'd my symptoms. And it was like, you're, you're, there's noises happening in your body that your eardrums are trying to protect you from hearing. And I was like, so what's happening inside my body? But it was just had water in my ears. Yeah. Perhaps water. Perhaps there was just a bug taking a small vacation and left. Don't like that. Or what if your meditations and all of the exercises you've been doing to become more open to being visited by family members after our interview with Conchetta what if this has led you to almost do the reverse and your body's just like, yes, open up and your eardrums are like, hello, the rest of us. I haven't been doing as many meditations as you just made it sound like I'm doing. So <laughs> I don't think that's Well, it. they say your organs, it, I think it's your organs, your skin, your skin's an organ. That's true. That they hold memories. So memories from past lives, perhaps. Maybe your ear has been oh, through some stuff. Maybe there's just some stuff in <laughs> That's it. That's true. I really want to get an earwax extraction. That seems like it would be really just feel real good. A joyous moment. My coworkers were telling me about that because I was telling them about my earthquakes inside my ear. And they were like, go get an earwax extraction. And it's like, what is this? Like they do a little scraping. They do a little, uh, a little vacuuming. I watch the videos. You know, some people watch pimples being popped. I watch earwax extractions. Of course you do. That's your glow up. <laughs> well, I need to get my ears done now. That made it sound like I was like getting new ears. Oh my God. Well, if you go, Sabrina, let me know how it is. Because as much as I'm addicted to it, to watching it, I'm a little nervous to have it happen to me because the insertion of things into my body when it hasn't happened before is scary. Yeah, that scares me too. But no, the rumbling has stopped. I also have this fear ever since watching, why am I blanking on it? Uh, oh, girls, when she pops her eardrums because she puts a Q-tip in too deep. Oof, oof, oof. I didn't see that, but... Ugh. So I have that fear. You can get the Q-tips that are... I think they're advertised for babies, but essentially they have a fatter base of cotton and then a little tiny, like reachable tip that would go into your ear so that you basically ensure that you can't go too far in. It's just like, interesting. I don't know, half a centimeter in. But at that point, are you getting what you need to get? I don't know. All these irrational fears, Corinne, we have. And cue the anxiety. (laughs) This is how it happens. (laughs) So I too got a little creative here because... Like you said, it was a tricky situation that we found ourselves in, (laughs) that we put ourselves in. We thought it was such a great idea. And then when we came to research, we're like, oh, no. But I was so fascinated when I found this because I have never I mean, it's the most wonderfully bizarre ghost story I've ever embarked upon. And I'm so excited. I know it's high praise, but I'm excited to uh, share it with all of you. Amazing. This is the Hammersmith ghost murder case of 1804. So rather than. A ghost necessarily killing people. There are people who may have killed a ghost. Oh. But it also includes a a vicious, violent ghost, a town hunting it, and things do go wrong. With all of their garlic. (laughs) So much garlic. Spears. Oh my gosh, they had a garlic (laughs) outage. Have you heard of the the garlic shortage of 1804? (laughs) No, I haven't. This is why. So the story begins in West London in the district of Hammersmith, and it was early fall of 1803. Labor was hard and grueling. The days were short. Night befell them earlier and earlier, just like we are experiencing in days like today. Daylight savings fall. But the townspeople in Hammersmith began to fear the nights even more and fear the dark and more specifically fear the ghost that haunted their tiny town when the night fell. Mm. 
The stories began when a woman was walking down a cobbled stone street late at night when all of a sudden she was confronted by a spectral being. It was a very tall apparition dressed all in white. And she was so startled that she ran home and told her husband. Her husband saw how terrified she was and assured her that it would be okay. And so the next day, he went to the townspeople and regaled them with this story and told them what his wife had seen. And all of the townspeople were like, had she seen a ghost? Who was this? What was a spectral being? And none of them could could be sure. But after this day... The ghost began to appear much, much more, and the ghost story spread like wildfire. And there was this one man, his name is John Graham, who's a local shoemaker in 1803, back in Hammersmith. And he had this apprentice, like a shoemaker apprentice, who heard of the Hammersmith ghost and started telling John Graham's children more haunting tales and tales of ghosts and terrifying ghosts throughout history. And he terrified John's children made them so scared. They wouldn't go to sleep at night. They were having nightmares. Poor John Grimm's just didn't know what to do. And he was like, why would you terrify my children? And John Grimm's children thought the ghost was going to come and kill them. And they may not have been off base because the Hammersmith ghost was making more and more appearances and each kept getting more and more violent. So I'll just share a few of the more commonly heard encounters. There's one of a pregnant woman who was walking near the churchyard when the ghost appeared and grabbed her around her neck. And (gasps) luckily she was able to get away from him, but she was in such a fright that she was bedridden for months. Oh my gosh. And another story was of an elderly woman who was walking a very similar path along the churchyard when she too was seized by the ghostly apparition who grabbed her this time just grabbed her arms and like struggled with her and fought with her. And she was also so frightened that apparently a few days later she died from shock. Wow. A man named Thomas Groom was walking through the churchyard with a companion at around 9 p.m. when all of a sudden something rose from behind a tombstone and grabbed him by the throat and it wrapped its spectral hand around his neck and began to choke him. Thomas was flailing and screaming, trying to free himself when he was pushing and punching. And in recalling this story, spoiler alert, he survived. In recalling this story to his friends, he was saying that he was pushing and punching. And when he punched something, he felt something very soft, almost like a coat. Maybe the one I'm wearing tonight. Oh, so there was resistance. So there was resistance. Uh, But luckily, this man, Thomas Groom, was able to free himself and live to tell the tale. But these attacks made the people of Hammersmith terrified. Who was this ghost and what did they want? They began to theorize who it could have been. And back in those days, they had this theory that if people died by suicide and they were buried in consecrated ground, their spirit would not be at rest. So a month before all of these attacks started, a man had died by suicide in the town of Hammersmith. And the townspeople put up a big fight and they were like, don't bury him in the churchyard because... They were worried his soul would not be at rest. With this as their belief, when all the ghost attacks started to happen, they were like, what if it's the ghost of this man who is who is, you know, buried in a place where we believe he shouldn't be and his soul is not at rest and he's vengeful and he's attacking our townspeople because it also made sense to them because most of these attacks were happening by the church. So that was their theory. And that's who they thought this ghost was. And they were now then with left with the concern of how do we stop this ghost and what do we do like your boyfriend they they didn't really know how to deal with ghosts they maybe used garlic they also at the time didn't have an organized police force in hammersmith they decided to form their own armed patrols in hopes of apprehending this ghost and i don't know what they planned to do with their weapons because I don't know what they thought would happen when they shot a ghost, but they didn't think it through, I guess. So they all formed these little patrols and they would go out in groups or they'd go out solo missions, but they were all scheduled times. And throughout the night, they would watch the streets of Hammersmith to try to keep people of the town safe and hopefully catch this spectral being. Mm -hmm. So on December 29th, a night watchman named William Girdler was on patrol along Beaver Lane when he saw the ghost. And he gave chase. He ran after the apparition with his weapon. But when he turned the corner, the apparition was gone. But in its place was a white tablecloth resting on the wet ground. 
And he picked it up and was very confused and brought it to the attention of the others in town. And they all became very unsettled and kind of distraught. And they didn't know what it meant. They didn't have great understanding of the supernatural, but they were still very unnerved and thought the ghost was still trying to harm them or kill them. So while this tablecloth threw them off, they still believed this ghost was very, very real and alive or not alive. Very, very dead. (laughs) So it put them on edge and... Now, anytime they saw anyone in white clothing, they were terrified. And unfortunately, there was a man named Thomas Millwood, who was a local bricklayer, wore white as his work uniform. That was his uniform. It was white linen trousers, a white linen top, and a white linen coat. Oh, no. One evening, he and his wife were out walking after work when a woman saw them on the street and screamed. They saw him in his white attire, and Thomas and his wife were startled, and we're kind of like, whoa, I'm clearly a person. Thomas laughed it off as like just a silly misunderstanding, but his wife became very concerned. And she started to ask him to wear a different overcoat on top of his white clothes to prevent anyone from misconstruing him as the ghost again. But Thomas was like, that's so silly. I'm obviously not a ghost. I have to wear white clothing for my job. And I'm not going to wear a bulky overcoat on top of my clothing because this is hard labor and I have to do my job. So Thomas Millwood continued to wear white. And on January 3rd of 1804, Millwood was leaving his parents' home on the street called Black Lion Lane, wearing his white work uniform. And little did he know what would happen next. Because at the same time as he was leaving his parents' home, on Black Lion Lane. A man named Francis Smith was patrolling the town with William Girdler. They both had their shotguns. They were looking for the Hammersmith ghost, and the two of them split up. Girdler went one way, and Smith headed in the direction of Black Lion Lane. And it's just past 11 p.m., and Thomas Millwood steps into the street and comes right into contact with Francis Smith and his shotgun. Smith was horrified at the sight of Millwood. He was wearing all white and Smith was convinced that he'd found the ghost of Hammersmith. And so he starts yelling at Millwood being like, damn you, who are you? What do you want? Damn you, damn you, I'll shoot you. And according to Millwood's family who had overheard the entire exchange before Thomas could ever respond, a shot rang out. And it turns out Francis Smith shot Thomas Millwood in the lower left of his jaw and killed him. Oh, no. Oh, I was really hoping it wouldn't go this way. I know. And the shot echoed through the town and William Girdler came running toward it, along with many other people from the town who had also heard it. And they came upon the grisly scene. Thomas's family also, because he was just outside of the house, they all ran outside to see that obviously Smith had not killed a ghost. He had murdered an innocent human man. So Francis Smith was taken to trial for murder And while he confessed to shooting Thomas, he defended the action by saying he believed him to be a ghost. And this trial was unlike any other trial ever seen or heard in history, because was that a valid defense? Saying that someone was a supernatural being, or you thought someone was supernatural, a defense against murder. And the people who had been so traumatized by the attacks from the real Hammersmith ghost all believed that it was because they had all come together and made this coalition to fight the ghost. And so they believed they were in danger. And so Francis Smith was acting in a self-defense, so he claimed. Though you could argue, well, I guess you could go both ways. One way is that the man was fearful and the only thing his brain could think of in terms of self-defense at that moment was to use the weapon that was on him. But the other side, the more rational I'm thinking through my action side is that if there was a supernatural being, namely a ghost, not like a werewolf or or anything like that, a ghost, how would a bullet stop the ghost? Exactly. I mean, I, I think it's 1804. There's not a lot of rationale into that decision. The judge who was overseeing this trial did not believe that this was a defense. And so he sentenced Francis Smith to death. Smith ended up getting the sentencing commuted to one year's hard labor, and he lived out the rest of his life. But Thomas Millwood's spirit was not at rest. And this is when the real murderous ghost comes in. Oh, no. And he killed Francis Smith. No, he got revenge. I'm kidding. He didn't. (laughs) Oh, 
<laughs> but that would have been great. I was like, I understand. No, but there is a, another curveball. Remember the man, John Graham, who I told you about with the shoemaker whose children were terrified of the ghosts and the ghost stories and everything? Mm-hmm. So after Francis Smith was on trial, this man, John Graham, was rocked with guilt. He confessed to the entire town and told them that after the first story of the Hammersmith ghost, his apprentices terrified his children. And in order to seek revenge, John Graham stole the tablecloth off his dining room table and stalked through the streets late at night. He was planning to scare his apprentices, but came across William Girdler instead. And remember that night on December 29th when William Girdler saw the ghost and raced after him, but all he found was the tablecloth? Yes. That was John Graham. Oh my goodness. But John Graham claimed that that was the only time he'd ever pretended to be the ghost. And he swore that he never harmed anyone. So he was not the person or the ghost who was strangling a man in the churchyard or frightening the women. And that one woman who died of shock. Some people believed him, but others believed that he was the violent Hammersmith ghost the entire time, despite swearing he was not. They thought maybe he felt guilty for stirring up such a frenzy, which led to Thomas Millwood's death, and he didn't want to take credit for all of it or take the blame for all of it. Or perhaps the Hammersmith ghost was very much real, because if what John Graham claims was true, that he was only responsible for the one encounter, then there is a real ghost that was responsible for nearly strangling a man and for shocking the women in the churchyard. And whomever spirit that was wanted to create violent chaos in Hammersmith and did so by attacking people on the street and causing the fear and watched as the town turned on one another and ultimately killed one of their own, Mm -hmm. which means the Hammersmith ghost technically is a killer ghost because he orchestrated all of this to happen. It's like getting an assist to a goal. Yeah. He assisted the murder. And maybe that's what he likes to do, this Hammersmith ghost. He likes to create frenzies and chaos and drive people mad and against each other. And perhaps he's still out there biding his time, planning his next orchestrated murder. I don't know. It was making me wonder why that one man would confess to the one night with the tablecloth. And part of me is like, he must be so racked with guilt that he confessed to just Maybe he was in the tablecloth all of those nights and maybe he was attacking people. Right. And he only confessed to that one incident where he didn't actually physically really do too much damage. And it was just another man versus one of the local females. And to him, that seemed like lesser of a crime. And so he confessed to one incident to to try to get the guilt off of his chest. That is possible. But. But the other side. Yeah. There are also rumors of the Hammersmith ghost still appearing today. (gasps) Apparently, he continued to haunt London. And in 1824, apparently, he gained the superpower of fire breathing. I don't know. And apparently, he reappears every 50 years. His legend was like really popular in Hammersmith and in London until the 1830s when the spring-heeled Jack took its place in the public mind, which I plan to talk about next week. So please stay tuned. Cliffhanger. Ooh. But according to legend, yeah, the Hammersmith ghost still appears in the churchyard every 50 years, wreaks havoc on the town and is still pretty violent. And also according to legend, poor Thomas Millwood apparently did not find peace and is a spirit. And he has been seen haunting the Black Lion pub, which came many years after his death. But it stands just next to Millwood's place of death. And the pub has a little plaque on the outside that has a report from the Times newspaper from January of 1804 talking about Thomas Millwood's death. And the landlord of the pub has said that the chef who lives upstairs has been woken up dozens of times by someone whispering his name only to find that no one was there. And other people in the pub have seen like a, a spectral looking man kind of just walking through, minding his own business, and they believe it's the ghost of Thomas Millwood. To wrap it up, just one thing that kind of changed the legal system in London was this case of the Hammersmith ghost murder because it left people so befuddled and no one had ever dealt with this legal defense of, I thought it was a ghost and I thought it was protecting people. It was like left on the top of their minds for 180 years until... The early 1980s, when there was a similar case where a man witnessed what he believed to be one person assaulting another, 
and attacked the man. So basically there was like a man dragging another man down a street and this like innocent bystander saw it happen and he attacked the man dragging the other man and it ended up killing him, I think. But it turned out the real of it was that the man dragging the other man was apprehending a wanted criminal. (gasps) Oh, shit. This case allowed the guy who killed the man to get away with it because he truly thought he was saving someone. Right. Yeah, because how would you know? And you wouldn't want to discourage. I mean, granted, you don't want to encourage anyone to just go to that level of extreme where you're actually murdering someone. But you also don't want to discourage someone from intervening when they see something for fear that they will misjudge the situation. And because of that, they won't do something when they really, really, really should have. Because I think probably the greater majority of cases where you see something like that happening and it looks really bad, it probably is really bad. Right. Yeah. I would hope that if I were screaming, help, help on the side of the road, someone would. Yes. But, 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 but. Do not shoot someone if you think they are a ghost. Do not shoot someone, period. But uh, especially not if you think it's a ghost, because that's not going to work. It's not. Um, So don't. (laughs) But that is the case of the Hammersmith ghost murder. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Twists and turns. New characters introduced. Laws, policies changing. Right? Man, oh, man. Isn't it pretty wild? It's such a crazy ghost story. And it made me, like, really bizarrely want to travel back in time to be on the streets of Hammersmith or during the fall of 1803 just to see the chaos. Oh my goodness. I can I can't even imagine. And also I'm really curious to the descriptions between the man who was in clearly in a tablecloth and then the <laughs> other two women that had encountered the Hammersmith ghost cuz it sounds like it went from a spectral image to a man covered in a white tablecloth. Right. I'm curious, but oh. And also now, obviously, we know, and your boyfriend probably should know this too, so maybe he wants to listen to this. Ghosts aren't the like cartoon things that we see. They're not covered in a white sheet. They're, they look very much like humans. Sometimes they don't look like anything at all. Sometimes they look like little worms of light yeah. just inching their way quickly around the room. But they're more likely to look like you and I or one of those things than to be wearing a sheet. Yes, I doubt that there are many. Although, wouldn't that be such a flex? That would be a hysterical <laughs> joke as a spirit to be like, I'm going to show up in in a sheet with eye holes cut out. That's going to be my fit for this season. That's my fit. I feel like we should do an episode of like the 101 of ghosts. Ghosts for dummies. That's a great idea. And I think you and I will learn a lot from it as well. I agree. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to say like we know everything, but... No, no, no. I feel like we, because I was thinking about it earlier today about how we'll cover cases and we'll learn things. And then if someone brings it up 12 episodes later, I will have no recollection of ever learning it, ever talking about it. It's like it was completely wiped and all of my growth was just has vanished. And so I think we've learned a lot and forgotten a lot. That's true. And it would be great to relearn it. That's true. But also, there's so much that's so unknown about the paranormal, too, that Mm -hmm. so much of our conversations is just based in hypotheticals and what our own creative minds just come up with and have fun with. Yes, true. What we're trying to will into existence. And maybe, you know what, maybe garlic does work. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're just in the dimension where we were told it was for vampires. That's true. Maybe that's what ghosts want us to believe so that we don't use it for them. Oh, what tricky spirits. Tricky, tricky. I have a listener story. It is called Ghosts and Murder. Ooh. And it's from Brittany. Hello, ghost girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like being called the ghost Me girl. Too. I think it's endearing. I really, I'm proud of it. Me too. My name is Brittany, and I would like to start by saying I absolutely love your podcast. As a person with anxiety, it oddly gives me great comfort to listen to ghost stories when I'm feeling anxious. Oh, good. I'm not sure if I'm weird. I know. It's no, you're not weird. That's true. And you know what? Lady Gaga said it was true for her too. So look at us. Look at us. Look at all of us together. I'm not sure if I'm weird or if I take satisfaction in the fact that there are people out there with more messed up lives than mine. (laughs) Anyways, I not only have a ghost story, but a crime story as well. Everything I know about this is through other people. So excuse me if it's not 100% accurate as I've come to know more and more as I get older. And it's been about 20 years. 
The crime story happened when I was five years old on April 26th, 1999 in Tacoma, Washington, where I'm originally from. My older brother, sister, and I were eating dinner at the table when my mom got a phone call. It was the police telling her that my dad's twin sister and husband had been murdered. My mom dropped his kids off at my older sister's friend's house and went to the scene of the crime. So basically, my uncle, he did a lot of skeezy shit when they were younger, including a lot of drugs. I guess on this night, he had stolen a bunch of drugs from his dealer and he had hid them behind a picture frame in the wall of the apartment. Two guys who worked with the dealer had come to collect the drugs or the money that my uncle had stolen from them. My uncle was in the living room with my 11-year-old male cousin and my aunt was in the bedroom sleeping on her stomach while my 8-year-old female cousin was in the room next door to her parents. Things went awry when the two guys ended up pulling out guns on my family. One of the men pointed at my uncle and told my 11-year-old cousin to beg for his father's life. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, my heart is in my stomach now. During this commotion, my eight-year-old cousin peeked out of her room and saw the other man pointing the gun at my aunt while she was sleeping. Unfortunately, even though my cousin begged for his father's life, the man shot him anyway, mm. while the second man shot my aunt in the back eight times. Oh my god! Both of the children watched as their parents were murdered. The men went to turn their guns on the children, but ran out of bullets. Then they immediately left the apartment, and my cousins called the police. My aunt had passed by the time the police arrived, and my uncle was taken to the hospital, and he passed away on the way there. Oh, my God. This is the worst story I've ever heard. When my parents got into the apartment, his older brother and wife were also there. The police asked who would take the children home, and my mom said that we would. Not only has my dad lost his twin sister, but my mom has also lost her best friend. My mom met my dad through his sister, and that's how they ended up getting married. Oh, my God. My parents raised my cousins as their own, and to this day, I still call them my brother and sister, not my cousins. In the end, the two men were found and put on trial, and my cousins had to attend to the trial and give statements about what happened the night that the men were there and the men were put in jail. I recently talked to my mom about what had gone on that night, and I was surprised to find out that the men were only 21 and 19. At the time that I spoke with my mom, the 19-year-old was already out of prison on parole and the 21-year-old had only a few years left before he was eligible for parole. Needless to say, this tragedy really messed up my family and no one has ever been the same. But the ghost story happened before my last story. My parents had some friends over pretty late at night and my older siblings were staying at a slumber party down the street. I was a baby. I wasn't allowed at the slumber party. So while my parents were drinking, chatting, probably smoking weed... I was asleep behind my mom's friend Cindy on the couch, and our German shepherd was laying at my mom's feet. From where my mom sat, she could see into our dining room, into the hall bathroom, and about halfway down the hall. Around midnight, she saw a little girl with brown hair walk into the bathroom. She was like, Brittany, get your butt back into bed. And Cindy was like, who are you talking to? And my mom told her what she had seen, and Cindy was like, no, you didn't. Britt's literally laying right behind me. Oh, Cindy then said maybe it was the dog, but she was asleep next to them as well. This was the first time my parents had ever seen the little girl, but it was definitely not the last. A lot of spooky things happened in the house that could not be explained. I remember being a small child and playing with this little girl. I didn't exactly see her face, but I knew she was there when I pulled out my Barbies. Eventually, my parents got a medium and the medium's team came out to the house The medium said that not only was there one ghost, but that there were three spirits haunting our small one-story house. Oh my gosh. The first was an older Native American woman named Elizabeth who looked out for the children, especially my oldest sister, who was a troublesome teenager by then. The second was a teenage boy who haunted the garage my dad had turned into a bedroom for my two brothers. They said that he liked to play with their basketball, but was disappointed that they never invited him to play with them. Aww. The last was the little girl who they said was named Molly. They said that she had died from drowning in the bathtub. <gasps> Corinne! I, I'm sorry. I honestly didn't mean to pick a bathtub theme. <laughs> What's happening? No one is allowed to take a bath for like at least a week. Yeah, please don't. I feel like this is a warning. I feel like this is a sign too, because especially because it was three things. Wait, I... I said it in the beginning. Yeah. The story had it. And then this, this encounters as it. Anyone who listens to this, please do not ever take a bath. Don't, don't, and don't leave your kids in the bathroom alone. Like, just, just, this is warning. Just everyone, like, be cool for a week. <sighs> they said that the little girl had drowned in the bathtub, and that is why we 
usually saw her going in there. They also told us that the little girl liked to play with me because we were a similar age and she was lonely. The medium told my dad that he was a clairvoyant and that his youngest daughter, me, would be as well if I opened my mind to it. Oh my gosh. Yikes. When we looked up the history of the house, we could not find anything about anyone who passed away except for the previous owner who had died in the front yard before we moved in. My sister also saw a dark shadow figure of a man standing in front of her bedroom door when she had come home early from school, and there was no one else in the house at the time. She would not stay in the house alone after that. When I was about 10 years old, we moved out of that house and into another side of town, and since then, I've had very few experiences of the paranormal. One was in my parents' new house and a few other places, but not anywhere near the amount that I had experienced in that previous home. Anyway, I have many, many more circumstances that I could tell you about, but this has gone on long enough and I'm freaking myself out talking about it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't wait to keep listening to your podcast and I will see you on the other side. Brittany. Wow. We went through a lot of emotions there. I know. I cannot and I, I cannot imagine what your cousins, sisters, siblings went through. That is absolutely tragic and horrifying and the fact that those people are out of prison i know i'm curious about how long they were there for from Brittany's description when she was like i've been it's been 20 years since this and i'm piecing the story together and whatnot it sounds like they were likely in jail for 20 some years but i'm curious if that number is correct if i am deducing if i'm if i'm picking out the right evidence from this email or (laughs) what the sentencing was, but oh my God, good Lord. Oh, but just so devastating. And they had to go. It's awful. Testify to. Oh, I can't even imagine. It's literally the worst thing in the world to think about. Wow. Oh, it breaks my heart. The fact that both of the children got to stay together mm-hmm. and they were living with family. That's, I know that's so special. Yes. I mean, their family had clearly taken on lots of kids because they had all those ghost kids too. Oh my gosh, yeah, there's everybody. A full house. Full house. And I love the Native American woman who is just like looking over all the kids, the ghost kids, living kids, just making sure it's a big house full of kids and doesn't hurt to have a few extra eyes on everybody. Your guardians. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So wild. (sighs) The bathtub thing is getting to me too. I know. I'm really (laughs) freaked out now too because it was so unintentional. It was so unintentional. I don't know. But you know what? When Brittany was like, when she was saying that her sister refused to stay in the house mm-hmm. after seeing the shadow person, it does remind me of, do you remember when I was FaceTiming with my cousin Lainey? Yes. And someone walked behind her and I was like, who's who's home? Like, hi, Uncle Jim. Like, I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out who was home. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, who just walked behind you? Like, I want to say hi. And she was like, I'm home alone. And she ran outside and just... Sat in the front yard until someone got oh, home. I don't blame her. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then my aunt was like, it was a bird. It was a shadow of a bird. A bird? And I was like, really? Inside of the dining room? In the home? And I don't think you're going to confuse a human with the bird. <laughs> we'll let Lainey believe that. Yeah, that's true. Whatever you need to believe to stay in your own home. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oops. <laughs> I have a story called My Haunted Life from Lucas. Lucas says, I heard about your podcast program and really enjoyed the paranormal stories you share, so I'd like to share a few of mine. And yes, I have been haunted all my life. Oh! The first story I want to share with you took place in 1970. I was 16 when me and my cousin Junie had a very eerie encounter with the Ouija board. Around that time, the Ouija boards were very popular, so June and I were very inquisitive about this new fad, especially myself, as I had my first experience as a very young child at just eight years old in my grandmother's haunted house. But that's another sinister story. Anyway, so we went out and we bought a board. I had some allowance money and she had gotten some money from her dad. And for the most part, we used the Ouija board in her basement and it was creepy, but not as bad as my grandmother's basement. Of course, as usual, when you first start to communicate, it's very slow and tedious And June and I were both thinking we were not getting anywhere, but we didn't give up. Now, around that time in 1970, our quaint little city had experienced a terrible tragedy. The mayor at the time had a daughter in high school, and she had a part-time job at a gift and antiques shop. She would work there for several hours, along with the owner, 
and her brother, who was a bit older, would always pick her up after football practice. Now, one afternoon, the brother was late picking up his sister, so the owner waited with the girl. But while they were waiting, a man burst into the shop and held both the owner and the girl at gunpoint. He did not take money, but he did kidnap the mayor's daughter. The owner tried to fight him off, but he hit her with the butt of his gun and knocked her out long enough to escape. That day, a news flashed on the television and radio, the event that had previously taken place a few hours prior. Of course, the police department immediately started the search, and the chief of police and the mayor were very confident and optimistic they would find his daughter unharmed. The city was in an uproar. They were panicked. And like I said before, our quaint little hamlet town had been tainted with a kidnapping. Our parents were also very confident that they would find the mayor's daughter and that she would be alive and well. So my cousin and I, while we're playing the Ouija board, decided to ask if we knew anything about the incident and if the girl would be found unharmed. As we asked the question, the planchette moved quickly and started to spell out M-U-R-D-E-R, murder. No way, we said. We were both so shocked and a little bit uneasy, we didn't believe it. Then, for no reason at all, as if we had asked a question, the Ouija board moved to yes. Well, that freaked us both out. We went to my mom and told her what the Ouija board had predicted, and she said, why did we buy that thing? It's evil. It's the devil. Blah, blah, blah. My mother is a devout Catholic. Anyway, she told us to get rid of the board, burn it, and that the mayor's daughter would be just fine. So then, the more we thought about it, we started to feel that maybe the board was lying and that it was evil. But a week passed, and the news came, and sure enough, the police found her body not too far away from our city, in a ditch, dead. She had been shot in the head, and it was really sad and a very disturbing time for our city. Something like this had never happened before. After that, we were so spooked that we decided, my cousin and I, that we were not going to communicate with the Ouija board ever again. So we go to her basement, as we had many times, and started to communicate to tell the Ouija now that we would not interact with it anymore. The planchette immediately started moving to the word, no, 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 over and over, moving back to it, no, no, no. We kept telling it, yes, we have to stop. Then the planchette all of a sudden started going in all kinds of crazy directions on the board and then suddenly stopped in the middle of it. It would not move, nor could we force it to move. And can you believe that? Because that was the eerie truth. We could not move it. We just kept staring at one another in fear in the dark, and the dark became even darker. We had never been that afraid in the past in all the times we communicated with the Ouija board, but now we were terrified. Now there was this ominous thing in the room with us, in the basement, and suddenly the eye of the planchette popped out and up onto the floor. My cousin screamed to the top of her lungs, and I yelled at the top of mine, and we threw the board off of our laps and ran out of the basement and did not look back. The worst part is we never got the chance to say goodbye, but we were so scared at the time that we didn't think of it. My cousin ended up living in that house until present day, and till this day, she still does not go downstairs to do laundry in her basement because it still has a dark, ominous feeling. That was over 45 years ago. I have other haunting stories if you're interested, and the home that my wife and I live in is haunted ever since we moved in five years ago. Thanks for your time, Lucas. Whatever spirit they were connecting with, or whatever evil they were connecting with, rather, I'm not sure if it's like a a solid warning from someone from the other side, or if it was like ill-intentioned driving bad energy to eventually lead in murder. Yeah, or I mean... We've heard stories before where, you know, spirits know of things that do happen or have happened. It's possible that that the mayor's daughter had been killed right away, you know, and left for dead. That the paranormal world knew of it and told it to Lucas and his cousin. And mm-hmm. and then whatever came to speak with them when they went to say goodbye or to say they weren't going to use it again was a different spirit, a darker spirit that was hoping, you know, to do some malicious other thing oh gosh oh gosh yeah creepy when the planchette just moved so suddenly like so immediate with a response that's what freaks me out the most like not even not even thinking not even putting a lot of thought and intention in your energy to move the planchette just like just straight up full-on control of the planchette well also when it moved so much and then just stopped and they couldn't get it off the board as if yes. a weight was holding it there. Yes. That Ooh, freaks me out no, no, too. No, 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 no. 
Yeah. No, I'm with their family members that were like, mm, we should not have that. We have a strong opinion against Ouija boards. You know what? Ouija boards scare the crap out of us. And because, yeah, we don't have the control or the practice to properly use them as some others do within their spiritual practices. Not us. It, it would let in the darkness. We're chickens. We're chickens. And, and I'm okay with it. We, we're, I'm fine too. I'm chilling. We're quit. We chilling. We chilling chickens. We, we chilling chickens. <laughs> uh, can you make the graphic uh, behind be this just uh, for this episode as a chicken? Just, oh, yeah, that's a great <laughs> one. I'm going to try to remember that. Ready? I am if glad have... that we had a hard time finding stories of ghosts actually killing people. Yes. It reassures sure. us. But if you do have sure. ghost stories where a ghost does kill someone, we won't say no to you sending them to us so we can read them. Yes, exactly. All topics, paranormal. Yeah. Send them to us. Let us know what's happened to you, a family member, your friend, your brother, whoever. Yeah. Let us know. Our email is two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Oh, also, if you mail us anything and send us your ghost story with it, send us your email or include your email on there so we can email you to tell you that we read it. Yes. Also, Patreon. Yes. We're going to, by the time this episode will have aired, there will be a post on Patreon letting everybody know what the tiers are going to change to on November 1st. So mm-hmm. check them out. See what goodies will will come. We're going to be better. We're going to be great. 2021, baby. Baby. On our Patreon. We also have many other varieties of ways to support us. Rate and review us on iTunes is a big one for us. And we truly, truly, mm-hmm. it makes a big difference for us as well in terms of having other people find us to listen to us and spread the word. You can also just join our pyramid scheme and tell everyone about the podcast. Yes. We also have social media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Join mm-hmm. our Facebook group because it's spooktacular. And we also just want to say thank you to Eric Foster and the whole team at Upfire Digital. They came on about a year, year and a half into our podcast and just turned the audio quality around. So we are so appreciative of you every single week. Thank you. If anyone out there is trying to start a podcast, you can check out Afar Digital as well. And we will see you on the other side.